well whitey on the moon again sorry i know i am whitey couldn't resist the the reference you know that gil scott heron poem slash song from 1970 whitey on the moon uh you know last podcast i talked about summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised you know which is an obvious reference to gil scott heron's great poem the revolution will not be televised um and it was interesting because in the documentary, they interviewed people about the recent moon landing, and there were some really intelligent people sharing some really relevant, I thought, um, perspectives on uh, on the cost of the moon landing in the face of tremendous uh, social problems in various parts of America at the time. And it uh, reminded me of the similarities between, you know, that time and our own. And in the face of a global pandemic, a shrinking middle class, racial strife, an economic system where full-time workers can't afford a roof over their head, the billionaires are going to the moon. Not to the moon, they're just flying around. They're looking for space. In Whitey on the Moon, Gil Scott Heron asks, was all the money I made last year for Whitey on the Moon? And, and now we know definitively the answer, and the answer is yes. <laughs> you gave all that money to Bezos, and he's going up into the suborbital space. And Richard Branson just went there. These guys made billions during the pandemic while the rest of us worried about our loved ones and they're spending it to go to the moon. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm less certain about this. I've never been very certain about things politically. I'm kind of a conservative. I'm just kind of like, you know, I don't know. I mean, if I had a billion dollars, I'd be living on a wooden schooner somewhere with my growing family of 13 small dogs kicking back with my kid and Mrs. Podcast. I don't know that I would be ending world hunger. I also don't think I could spend a fraction of it, though. On the other hand, it's not really a problem. It keeps me up at night. But right now, I imagine, it would be just a slightly um, less modest version of what I'm doing now, I guess, when it comes right down to it. It would be very similar. And, you know, in terms of doing redneck stuff, just to see what happens, I mean, you know, I've got a long history of, hey, guys, watch this. I don't know, but I, I do believe in kind of doing your own thing. I read an article in the paper last week. It was cool. This guy uh, doing some remodeling on his house. He started digging around. He found a, a large cache of, of uh, bowling balls. Apparently... You could get these bowling balls that were like, you know, defective seconds or whatever. They were very cheap for landfill. He found like 150 of them. And the first thing that entered my mind was, wow, this is a excellent opportunity to build yourself a bowling ball cannon. So I don't know. I might go to space if I had billions. I, I guess maybe one of the problems for me is that um, it's a pretty unimpressive feat in some ways. And I don't want to make light of it. I know that people died uh, you know, in private space exploration, the X, X challenge or whatever it was. And, you know, but, you know, Richard Branson 
he went up to 86 kilometers, which, you know, I think suborbital space is considered 100 kilometers. I mean, Chuck Yeager's sitting there in the test pilot a afterlife looking at this and going, I would have done that in a biplane. You know, I mean, Bezos is supposed to go to 106 kilometers so he can just break out into that suborbital thing. And, and that's what the X-15, you know, the test flights in the space program were doing in the 1950s, 1959, 1960. So these billionaires are what? Creeping up to 1960 technology. They're, they're going with all this research, development, testing, just to get to what these guys used to just like jump in the plane and go like, yeah, I'll give it a whack in 1959. I mean, you know, the Wright brothers made their first flight in 1903. You know, and then it was some years before they could, you know, sustain very good flight. And then, you know, people went to the moon in 1969. It's roughly the same distance between the first flight and going to the moon as it is between going to the moon and now. And and what? These guys went high in an airplane? You know, I, I understand that, that like, well, I mean, I understand that in the space race, you know, that, that, uh, that the ancillary uh, effects of, of that technology, the downstream uh, payoff of that technology was an airline industry that was safer, faster, and, and all of that. And of course, it was also a lot of, you know, flexing and showing off technology to the rest of the world. You know, but I got to wonder who this is showing off for, because it's certainly not breaking any technological barriers. And again, I think that back in the day, I mean, you know, Amelia Earhart, Bessie Coleman, Beryl Markham, they were, you know, these women were making all kinds of amazing uh, breakthroughs in flight. And, and again, they're just doing it on, on like, uh, I think I can make that. <laughs> See to the pants, instinct-based research. And then, and then now we've got all of this modeling, all of this development. I mean, they went to the moon on pen and paper. Now we got computers that can spy on me and know when I want a new eight-weight rod because I'm going to go, you know, steelhead fishing in a couple of months. But it's what taking us to the same spot that we used to be, and then and then it's interesting too that the that um, you know the space nerds have a lot to say about this, and they think it's cool that we're going back to space, and I, I think it's cool to a certain extent too. I can understand why they're saying that, but but I, I don't know if the imperatives are the same now. I mean, at least during the Cold War, uh, the government imperatives to show technological dominance to the world. Uh, you know, had a national security uh, and a strong cultural element to them that, that I think that was easier to get behind. Now it's just technology, and the technology, I don't see it serving humanity in the way that maybe we could have seen the space race serving humanity in the 1960s. And, and even that, I guess, retrospectively is questionable. And of course, you know, as an old-fashioned humanist, I always think the human goals are more important. I mean, look, we have an amazing vaccine that'll save your life. And 20% of Americans think that 
they can't take it because it puts a microchip in you. And the government can track our movements. As if these people don't have a phone that tracks every single thing you ever do, spend, or say. So I don't know. I feel like I've got better causes to get behind, I would have to say. <laughs> Social, environmental, political, personal causes that are all, you know, way behind our uh, level of technological achievement. You know, and then today, Bezos went up in his rocket. The plane thing was a little too subtle for him, so he uh, he went up in what I'm calling a rocket. Other people have offered other uh, ideas. And he actually shot that thing up wearing a pair of cowboy boots and a beat-up cowboy hat. I'm sure that he put the wear and tear on the hat himself. I mean, if you haven't seen any of this or or you you don't know what I'm talking about, I mean, I'll I'll let a, a, an independent UK headline spell some of it out for you. It says Jeff Bezos's phallic rocket deserves all the ridicule it gets. This is a triumph of unmistakably masculine, in-your-face hubris, and that's actually kind of interesting. I mean, obviously it's that. But I guess these guys are, you know, around my age or little, some are a little older and some are a little younger than me, but they're in my age range. And, you know, we were presented through like Tom Wolfe's novel and the film after it with, with, uh, and through the Tom Hanks Apollo 13 film, we were presented with, uh, astronaut as the cowboy of the, uh, of the age, the the unquestionably masculine superhero, and but what's interesting is these billionaires. I mean, like they uh, they would not have made it into astronaut training, I don't think, if they had to make it on their own merits, so they could buy their way into a kind of performance of the type of masculinity that they've fantasized about, I guess. It's all such theater, you know. Bezos shows up dressed in his cowboy boots and cowboy hat doing the right stuff thing. And I've never seen him dressed like that before. I don't think this is a part of this guy's, you know, ordinary personal identity. And if the desperate, overreaching performance of masculinity, you know, isn't enough, there's some crazy environmentalist theater going on too. You know, he named the thing... Blue origin, like what, the beginning of a new blue planet where he's going to, you know, recreate Earth on Mars or something? I don't, I don't even have any idea what that's supposed to mean. I mean, the, the environmental cost of this is crazy. When they talk about it, too, even when the news talks about it, they talk about, like, the environmental cost of the launch. I mean, come on. What, what kind of... Uh, you know, what kind of environmental costs went into the creation of the of the project? This is the thing we often fail to calculate. You know, it's not the it's not the product after the point of delivery that costs us environmentally. It's the process of making it and getting it to us. Bezos's uh, you know, container ships sending their sulfur-laden exhaust into the atmosphere 
is the problem. Oh, but I didn't drive to the store a mile away to buy it, so I helped the environment. No. I mean, here's just a quick statistic for you. Let me, let me read this. The 15 largest ships in the world emit as much nitrogen oxide and sulfur oxide as the world's 760 million cars. These 15 ships pollute more than all of the cars. And that was a, a statistic from a few years ago, so that might have changed modestly since then, but it gives you a sense of, of what we're talking about here. And yet, again, uh, you know, all of this PR about this billionaire space race uh, also, con uh, you know, contains a strong element of scrubbing clean the image of this as an environmental disaster and nightmare. It's like the thing when Branson rode to the launch site on a bicycle. I mean, of course he didn't. They later, of course, had to concede that uh, that was a different time. It just showed him riding a bicycle. I mean, as if like because once he rode a bicycle, that somehow offset the tremendous environmental cost <laughs> of his vanity space project. But anyway, no one's talking about Branson anymore. He's the past. They're all talking about Bezos. Bezos is the king. He went the highest already. He got up there into John Glenn territory today. Except I think he misread something or there was a typo because he got to 106 kilometers. That's like 66 miles. And John Glenn in 1962 got 162 miles. 261 kilometers when he orbited the world, the Earth, three times. Became the first person to do that. Again, we're talking 1962. Did you see the thing? You know, Bezos is sitting there in his cowboy hat looking like Gus, Robert Duvall, and Lonesome Dove. <laughs> and he says... I'm not, I'm not making it up. If you didn't see it, you have to check it out. I want to thank every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer because you guys paid for this. And then everyone laughs like, oh, man, did he really just say that? This guy's sticking it to him, isn't he? Reminding them that they give up a living wage so this guy can go to space or, or not space. Come on, we're not talking about space. We're talking about, you know, near space. And then he goes, no, seriously, for every Amazon customer out there and every Amazon employee, thank you from the bottom of my heart very much. It's very appreciated. <laughs> I appreciate that I've created a business model that uh, exploits you because it sure has made space great for me. He said later, it was a very pleasurable experience. A lot of this, you know, reminds me of the great Lightning Hopkins song, Happy Blues for John Glenn. He uh, was in the studio recording his great record, Walking This Road by Myself. You know, Lightning Hopkins, like some of the other, uh, you know, bluesmen uh, from an earlier time that I talked about was rediscovered, quote unquote, during the, during the blues revival of the 60s. And... Uh, you know, he hadn't even really been performing, and he was sort of brought back. Uh, he didn't even have a guitar. 
Uh, and anyway, he did this great record walking the, the road by myself. And he was in the studio uh, in 1962 in February when John Glenn did the Friendship 7 flight. And uh, so that morning he sat down and, and wrote a song, which he mostly kind of improvised, I guess. Um, and, it, and it was called Happy Blues for John Glenn. And it's an upbeat song. And I, I don't know, it seems mostly laudatory of, of Glenn. It starts off, people I was sitting around this morning with this on my mind, said, there ain't no living man gone around the world three times, but John Glenn done it. Yes, he did. He did it. I'm talking about him. He only did it for fun. And that's kind of interesting. I mean, I think Lightning Hopkins was often uh, gentle or veiled, I would say, in his... Uh, you know, in his social critique. But that's interesting. He only did it for fun. Half a million dollars made him feel so well. He got to eat in his lunch and couldn't hardly tell. He said, I feel all right. John Glenn said it. Everybody was laughing. So, you know, <laughs> I think there's something going on here um, in this, in, in, in the Lightning Hopkins song that I'm certainly feeling about this thing, that, that, that at a there's a certain kind of person that can do the most extraordinary thing just as a lark, put on a, you know, gladiator show, <laughs> if you're Roman, or send a giant phallic missile to some low orbit or suborbit non-space place just to show that you can do it. And again, you know, one of the headlines said, uh, you know, said Amazon Prime makes uh, makes uh, drone delivery from space. And they talked about the, you know, basically like they shot this drone. They, well, it's not a drone. It has people in it. But they shot this thing up and they brought it down. And and they connected the two things of, of you know, Bezos getting um, FAA authorization to do drone delivery last August and his space... Uh, aspirations and it's just it's just ironic as heck to me that he wants to combine all this with with uh you know the sacrifice quote unquote that his employees and customers are making so that he can do it it's it's all a package for him it's pr for him it's influence with the faa to continue to further exploit workers and take away their jobs so he can send things to you by drone you know i mean his goal is to eliminate the worker I don't know who's going to buy the product at the end of the day. They just keep getting cheaper and cheaper, so more of us buy and buy. I don't know. It's all it's all just about vanity and and a sort of flaunting technological achievement um, is a thing that governments used to do, and now it's a thing that billionaires do. And and we're truly, I think, moving towards a place where billionaires replace government. You know, I don't know that we should eat them because they're probably tough and stringy, but I do think we should tax them. And I think we should tax them not only for the good of humanity, but also because we've given them a level of wealth that allows them to function like nations or governments. And I'm not comfortable with them having that amount of power. I mean, to just throw some numbers onto this uh, conversation really quick. When John Glenn orbited the Earth in 1962, or when we went to the moon in 1969, 
the corporate tax rate for people like Bezos was 52%. It is now 21%. Uh, I think we could do some good work with the billions that these guys owe us. I don't want to go around bragging about what a nice boat my boss has. I want to get a little fishing boat of my own. And again, I'm kind of an old-fashioned conservative about this. What I really want is not necessarily more taxes from these people. What I really want is for them to be forced to lower their tax burden by paying their employees a living wage. We need to incentivize rebuilding the middle class, not incentivize minimum wage workers living in tents. So that's what I want. I want some guideposts put back on this economy. Um, and to me, billionaires flaunting their billions by shooting up rockets is not something I'm going to celebrate. I'm sorry. I hope this wasn't negative. I try to be positive on the podcast, as you know, but the billionaire space race is definitely a let them eat cake moment for me. I probably would take a ride, though, if they uh, offered it to me. Hey, everybody, take care of yourselves. Be well. And I will see you next week, okay? Mm -hmm.